0: Um, my name is Erin Nasmith, and I am a member of the Women's Shepherds Team here at Christ Central, and also a member of the Plaza Midwood Community Group. Um, and I'll be reading today from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and Luke chapter 4. And you should remember, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Know then in your heart, that as man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of, your God, of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So, this morning, as you can see from the slide in front of you, I'm going to talk a little bit about Lent today. And by the way, for those of you who are guests with us, my name is Amari Hill. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Christ Central. And for those of you who have been around here for a while, you already know who I am. And you're probably thinking, yay, short sermon today. No, <laughs> uh, not today, because uh, there, there's some things I need to lay down, of course, and uh, for good reason, but uh, of course, we won't be here for too long, but I believe that there's a word from the Lord for you this morning, and, uh, but as we, we get into this, as you see on the slide, I've mentioned Lent. Now, Lent is something that you might think of as pretty stodgy, even strange, Like, why would I even talk about that? Why would I bring up Lent now? Especially as we've been going through this graceful series. Doesn't Lent seem like the opposite of that? Doesn't seem like the opposite of grace? It's more about some kind of superficial spirituality maybe, maybe a practice for super Christians, maybe even something that's kind of legalistic, if you will. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is that Lent is not really so much about tradition as it is about the practice of fasting, and fasting in Christ. It's not about tradition for tradition's sake, but about walking more closely with Jesus by his grace. Now when Jesus was challenged about fasting by the religious leaders of his day, they looked at his disciples and they said, you know, during the time when everybody else was supposed to be abstaining from food, they were still eating. And Jesus responded to them and he said that while the groom is with you, you eat. But when the groom is gone, that's when it's time to abstain from food. That's when it's time to fast, when the groom is no longer there. So Jesus uses this wedding metaphor to talk about fasting. To kind of help us think about something that is on the other side of the fast, which is a feast. So Jesus uses this wedding metaphor analogy to help us think about fasting and feasting. So he says that if you think about this image, once the groom arrives to marry his bride, then that's the time when everybody's gonna throw down. That's the time when everybody's gonna eat, when you're gonna, well in that culture, you won't eat the ribs, but in our culture, we would. We eat the ribs, and you know, we have all the the good uh, swine and whatnot just kind of laid out on the table, right? But the celebration begins once the wedding happens, after the deal has been sealed, if you will. So there's something about fasting and the tradition of Lent that has something to do with Jesus claiming us as his beloved. There's something about Lent and fasting that has to do with Jesus claiming us as his beloved. As with most of the good things in our lives, it's, it's easy to take God's love for granted. And we've been learning over the past few weeks that as we remain in God's love, as we continue to digest His grace, if you will, if we continue to live in our adoption as sons of God, then we will be changed. So I wanna invite you into this season of renewal a renewal of divine love for sinners, a renewal of God's given desires, His, the desires that he's given to us, our, our appetites, a renewal of our adoption as daughters and sons of the living God. So let me provide a, a brief explanation here of what I'm going to do, what we're going to get into, especially when we talk about Lent. So Lent comes from a Saxon word for length. So that during this time of year, right, at least in the northern hemisphere, the length of days begins to increase. Right? We have a lot more daytime. Right, So for a season, day lasts longer than the night. Right? How many of us need just a little bit more daylight in our lives right now? Just a little bit more. Like, like, like the seasonal affective disorder thing, it's, re- it's real, right? <laughs> it's real. Um, but, but, but not only physically, Do we need more more light? But we need it emotionally as well. Already I'm starting to think through that usually around this time of year I started thinking of different songs and stuff like that and you know, as spring is coming so I think of like Bismarcky, spring again. You know, I think it's coming, right? (laughs) Um, Or I think of like uh, Astro Gilberto, uh, her song, it might as well be spring. You know, it's real jazzy. I like that Bossa Nova Brazilian jazz stuff. Any Brazilians in the house? But you know, so I, I love that kind of thing. Right, but we need the daylight emotionally in in our relationships because we're already experiencing some of the, the dreariness of it, the darkness, right? That feeling kind of closed in, a little claustrophobic. We need some freedom. Bring the light so we can spread out a little bit, right? In our, in our spirit, in our hearts. And so Lent anticipates spring. It anticipates when the trees will begin to blossom and for some of us, when is about to fly off the shelves, but but it, it anticipates that time. The longer days are coming. The renewal of the earth is coming. Soon and very soon, life will begin to stream through every corner of the world, right? And, 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 and that's what, that's what we, we, we're waiting for. I mean, it's, spring is my favorite time of year, and it's not just because I was born in spring, so I'm a little biased toward it, but spring is, is beautiful. This stuff just starts coming out. I mean, I think the first time I visited Charlotte was in the spring, and, um, you know, having, having spent, like, so many years out in, in central Texas, and not seeing certain kinds of trees and stuff, and then coming here in the spring, and I mean, I was sold immediately, like, man, I gotta move here, you know, this is a beautiful city. So we know what to expect when springtime comes here in this city, and we're looking forward to it. But we also needed it emotionally. And so, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus in springtime, as we anticipate the renewal of all things. You know, when I was a kid, one of the things I loved doing was going to, I grew up in the Bronx, so I loved going to the Bronx Park. And there in the park in springtime, springtime, you know, you know we we'll fly kites and ride my bike with my parents. It's one of the few pleasant memories that I have when my parents were still together. And I, and I just, I, I loved it. You know, and I, but I, I wonder if I would have enjoyed that time in the park if it had not been for winter. Right? If I hadn't gone without for a while, What I really enjoyed, the spring that came and everything that came with that experience in the park and being there with my parents. If our hearts are in the right place, winter prepares us for spring. It prepares us to celebrate it. If our hearts are in the right place, Lent prepares us for Easter when we're ready to feast and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and all that that means for us. But since our God is a God of abundance, and not a God of scarcity, he calls us to eat even as we fast, even as we lay aside some things that may be good for us for a time. He calls us to to, to eat with him. Lent is an invitation to, to feast on God's grace, to feast on the grace of your heavenly father so that we might begin to crave his glory for the entire world. We need to have our desires reordered, flipped inside out so that we not only crave what is good, but we crave what is best. How do we enter into that feast? And what may happen to us when we do enter that feast? Those are the two things I'll cover this morning. How we enter into that feast and what may happen if we do. So first, how do you get in? We need to expose ourselves to the elements. Metaphorically speaking, that is entering into the desert. So when you fast, right, you, you're giving up something that, that's good for you. So it's not, it's not like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna fast on sin. No, you're, as a Christian, you're supposed to abstain from sin. You don't fast from that, right? <laughs> You're, you're, you're like, no, you do it all, all the time. So but you fast on something, that's good for you. But then what, what you begin to notice is like, oh, wait, maybe I was depending a little too much on this, right? You're, and it exposes your dependence. When you, when you go into an open, wild environment like the desert, right, you become aware of your need. You become aware of your weakness, your limitations, That's the purpose, right, of of, of fasting. It's the the purpose of exposing yourself to the elements of going into, as we're saying this morning, into your desert. This is what happened to the people of God after they were liberated from slavery in Egypt. Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you look there in verse 2, it says this. The Lord says to them, he says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might what? Humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And then in verse five, he says, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. See, the Israelites were freed from slavery, right? And they were established as sons of God. That that was was a fact. This nation belongs to the Lord. In different places in Scripture, he calls Israel my son. So that, that sonship, if you will, that adoption is done. It's established. There's nothing that could change that. But what was missing was that these sons... The people of God needed to now reflect the heart of God. They didn't reflect the heart of their father, which is why as he's speaking here in Deuteronomy, he's speaking here to us a new generation of Israel, right? The first generation died off in the wilderness. And now it's it's the new generation. They died off because they just, like, God had to deal with them, right? And if you read the scripture, you kind of see what happened. I'm not going to get into all of it, but... So so then there's there's this new generation now, and now your heart, you need to learn how to reflect the heart of your father. His desires needed to become their desires. And the conditions were set up there in the wilderness in in such a way that, that they had to recognize their neediness. And when we enter into our desert, the conditions are set up to do that for us as well to recognize our neediness, our dependence on God for life. So we have to give up the illusion that we can do life our own way and be everything that we need. God's people. I'm talking about God's people now, not just any any person. I'm talking about God's people don't pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Amen? I mean, that's not how we learn Christ. We didn't learn Christ by pulling ourselves up by working our way in and somehow we, you know, Jesus is like, all right, you good, you did it. Like, no, it's all by grace. We don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And so, so here it is, you know, the God's people here are being called to remember that, that self-reliance and self-sufficiency is an illusion. Is if you see that while you're out there in the wilderness, that's a mirage, don't go there. Right, that, that's an illusion. And it's an illusion that got us in this mess in the first place. Remember what Adam and Eve, right? They believed that they could do life on their own and then now shame and death, like, touch everything. It gets into every single corner of our lives and of this world. So being exposed in the desert reminds us that we were made to depend on a loving and a holy God. See, without his ways, we can't find our way out. And you think there's a desert that's there in, in Israel. I know some of you have visited Israel and been there, so you know about this desert, the Negev. It's spoken of many times in scripture. And there in the Negev, there's this, there's this animal that kind of looks like an antelope or a deer called an ibex, right? Some of you have been to the zoo. You've seen these things. The Nubian ibex lives there in the Negev desert. And it, and it, it hangs out there on, on the cliffs, right? It stays up on the uh, uh, above, above the canyons and stuff until it needs something to drink. So then it begins to, they begin to make their way down, but there's only one problem. It's called the Arabian Wolf. And so they gotta get get to the watercourses of the Negev, if you will, where there, there are small streams flowing where they can drink so that they can survive. But the only way that they can get around that wolf is if they begin to hide themselves in the cleft of the rock. And it's the cleft of the rock that helps them to stay above the wolf and to, 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 to remain in safety until the, the wolf is finally so frustrated and just gives up and goes elsewhere. Then the Ibex can go down and drink and live. And that is what God is calling us to do, to rely on him as our cleft in the rock, to help us to steer clear of the things that would seek to devour our hearts and to keep us from knowing life. The desert reminds us that we cannot live on our own, nor were we meant to. And we can live our lives, I know this from personal experience, that we can live our lives at such a pace that we're not aware of our need for the Lord. Right? We can, we, 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 it's so easy just to, to cover up some of our needs on the outside, well, meanwhile, the needs that we have on the inside are killing us. Right? Something is crying out, God, show me your ways. But we keep it hidden. We stuff it. We just keep moving. And then we look great and successful on the outside, but then inwardly we're withering away. But you can't hide your thirst for long in the desert. At some point, you have to drink or you'll die. Exposed in that place, you begin to see who or what you're really depending on for life. Oh, that, 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 that's going to be exposed for you, it'll be made real. Right? Whatever you depend on is what you'll serve, like river gods and sun gods. Political gods, love gods, right? Israel may have been freed from Egypt, but they still had little idols right there in their hearts. They were declared sons of God, but they were drinking from foul places in order to live. Christians do it too, right? I'm claiming my sonship today, I'm heaven bound but I still desire to serve my thirst in ways that my father disapproves. Sometimes you have to fast in order to really sense where your desires are out of order, right? To become more aware of your dependence. And when you do that, you'll see where you see where you've been, where you've been actually been going to get your deepest needs met fasting, going into the desert. It doesn't always involve food, but it always requires prayer. And I've tried to practice Lent now for several years, and one thing that I've seen is that I prefer to check my email, I prefer to look at social media, to browse my text messages, even read a book more than spending time in prayer in the morning. Now what's going on there? What's happening in my heart? So I'm looking for a personal message. Some of you remember back in the day, remember pen pals, does that still exist? When you get a letter in the mail from somebody and your name was on it, And I remember going to the mailbox and being so excited and looking forward to you know, getting a letter from my pen pal, or somebody I, that I met at a youth retreat or something like that, and you know, we exchanged addresses and we were sending letters to each other, and I mean, I couldn't wait, you know, going to the mailbox, not so gonna open that thing up. Uh, I feel start man, if you don't know what pen pals are and that if you don't get letters now, man, that's, oh man, that's terrible. Where are we going as a culture, <laughs> um, wow. Uh, but, but, but every morning, every morning, I woke up and I still wake up with this need to be known. Does anybody know me? Does anybody care? Right, if if, if I don't feel that someone desires to enjoy my presence and, and open their soul to me, every single day my spirit begins to wither. Loneliness is a constant threat and my soul needs daily bread and I would venture to guess, so does yours. What is your soul begging for? Here's a better question, do you even know? Do you even know what your soul needs? When's the last time you've been in touch with what's going on inside of you? If you don't know, if you don't know what it is, how can you bring it to the Heavenly Father who has shown you just how much he loves you? Is that thirst, is it so uncomfortable? Has it gone unfulfilled for so long that you just stuffed it? You just decided to just move on. I don't want to deal with that anymore. Not even going to an idol for help. You're just hiding it. You can't even enjoy your adoption. You can't even enjoy God's grace if it's not hitting you where you need it. You hear what I'm saying? You can't enjoy God's love for you if it's not being poured out exactly over the spot where you need it. Otherwise it just remains an intellectual thing. It's just something up here. God loves me. Oh, isn't that great? You know? Oh, I just, you know, I come to communion. I just do the rituals. That's all it becomes just rituals. Because God's love isn't, it's not, it's not connecting with you. You're hiding. My spiritual director, a person, a a mentor, sometimes a priest, maybe not, lay person who kind of just helps you to be aware of what the Spirit is doing in your life. That's what a spiritual director does. My spiritual director says that prayer, particularly through the Word, is not about cranking up your brain. It's about warming your heart. That's what prayer is for. But I'm easily tempted, as I was saying earlier, to use books and articles and podcasts and all that kind of stuff and even yeah, personal letters, to get my heart beating. Because they helped me as a kid, right? They helped me as a kid living in a home where my dad wasn't there and, and where my mom was wounded. Because I could go into those things and I could leave the pain out here, right? And so I could just go into those places and just escape from all that that was happening around me and all that stuff, the terrible things that I was feeling. Just Just read a book. Just, you know, get lost in a letter from a friend or get lost in Instagram posts and things from people that you admire. And I, and I tried to, as a kid, like, just escape so that I, I would just accept everything as if it was normal. Like, this is the way a home is supposed to be. Well, it's fine, I'm good. Everything's good, everything's fine. How you doing, Amari? I'm fine, Right? got my books. I'm good. But those posts on Facebook, those letters in the mail, those books from our favorite authors, those blogs from people that we admire, they can't give you life. They can't give you life in the midst of your drought. But God can. In prayer, you have to come out from behind the bush, as it were, and stand before God in your fig leaf. But it's in prayer that God provides a covering. It's in prayer that he cares for you. He gives his grace to you. In prayer, sometimes with fasting, sometimes not, God makes his heart for you known, reminding you that he sees you and that he wants you Involved in his business, he wants you to follow him. Keep my commandments, he says to the people of Israel. He says, Let me discipline your heart, let me shape it after my own desires. Why? Because you're my son. You're my son. But some of you don't need to fast to enter into a desert, do you? Because some of you are in a desolate place right now because of your finances, because of a failed relationship, a failed friendship, your health concerns, too many burdens at your job or at school. You've been thrust into the desert just like Jesus was. You're already going without some good things in your life. And your deepest needs are crying out. My question is where will you go? Where will you go with those needs? Jesus says, just as his Heavenly Father said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In fasting, in prayer, and even taking advantage of this season of Lent, let your deepest needs, let your deep needs be exposed to your Father so that he can lead you through and feed you along the way. So we enter into a feast of grace, particularly during this time, we're fasting in prayer. But what could happen to us if we do? I'll tell you this, it can change the way that we eat. I think those of you who have been on dieting programs, something like Arbon, Weight Watchers, whatever it might be, you know that one of the things that it does is that it changes your eating habits, right? So you give up something good for a while, and, you, and at first you get the shakes, you get the withdrawal symptoms, right? <laughs> you know, uh, I need a Kit Kat, ah, right? And then, you know, and, and you start bugging out and you, you know, you get anxious, you know, even sometimes you get moody, all that kind of stuff, and it's just, why are you so angry? I don't know, ah, and, but, you know, so you're dieting, right, <laughs> so, you're, so you go through that withdrawal and you give up some things. But after a while, you're just kind of like, wait, your body's like, I don't need that. Right? And then you begin to take on something new. You're like, okay, no, I don't, I don't need those ho-hos and twinkies and stuff, whatever it might be anymore. I don't need that. I don't need that sesame chicken. Lord, I love sesame chicken. But, you know, I don't, I don't need that. You know, i just like, let me eat the fruits and vegetables and, and you know, drink more water and all that kind of stuff, right? And, you know, lean meats, all that kind of stuff, good fish, all those sorts of things. New habits develop as you fast. So as fasting is in our culture. We do it all the time. We just call it dieting. But this fast is different. And the way that we eat, the kind of eating that I'm talking about here is just a little bit different. Remember the Lion King? Of course you do. Right? You know the Lion King. Right? And so you remember the Lion King? You remember you know, there's, there's, there, the, the Pride Lands and and Mufasa. And, and, and all the other lions, you know, they, they, they're, they're ruling over it, but then there are other animals there, right? And, and there's, it's, it flourishes, plenty of vegetation, a variety of animals, and everybody is, is doing well under the circle of life, the circle of, never mind, I'm gonna sing it. Um, so, right, and, and, but then there's the other crew. There's Scar and the hyenas. And they wanted to eat every single thing in sight. They could care less about a circle of life. They they didn't trust living underneath. They didn't trust any kind of kingship under this, this circle of life. And so they want to overthrow it, right? Which eventually they did. But in case you missed it, when it comes to God and his world, we are not Mufasa. We are Scar. We are Scar and the hyenas. But When we don't trust God's will, our desires run amok, and we consume his good world for ourselves. I mean, look here at what happened with Israel. This is God's warning to them. Chapter 8, once again, verse 6. He says, so he's commanded them. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. Then he says, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Verse 10, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Right, the pride lands. He's gonna bring you into a place that's flourishing, that's full, vegetation, variety of animals. You're gonna have your fill. It's gonna be great. I'm bringing you into a good land. But if your desires are out of whack, you're going to tear everything up. And they did. For hundreds of years. They neglected and screwed over the poor. They slept with whoever they wanted to. They built shrines to other gods. They corrupted the justice system. They exploited women and girls. They misuse natural resources. Oh, that sounds familiar. We are scar. Israel may have failed. We may fail. But Jesus didn't. And he won't. Because Luke tells us that, that Jesus was also led into the desert and he was made to fast for 40 days, which mirrored the 40 years that the people of God were in the wilderness. And when he had ended that time there, after being led there by the Spirit, he was hungry. And what happened next? Luke 4 tells us, it says again, verse 3, I shall go back, Well, I'll read the whole thing. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Now, get this. The devil said to him, wow, I mean, devil is nasty. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, right, who do you think you are? If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. So look at this now. He says, if you are the son of God, and Jesus could have said, actually, I am. Right? You know, it was like, duh. You know, thanks, Captain Obvious, right? But he, saw he actually had the ability to take that stone and to turn it into bread. He really did. He really did have it. He could have done it. Right? But could you imagine? what would have happened if he did? We wouldn't have a rightful savior, right? We wouldn't have, like, someone who learned to depend on God for his life, just like Israel did in the desert and just like we all do today. We wouldn't have someone who would become like one of us so that he could save all of us if Jesus had said yes to the will of Satan instead of yes to the will of God. Jesus didn't tear everything up because he was hungry. He didn't ruin everything. He didn't leave us in this endless loop of suffering and death simply for a a slice of bread. Because his strongest desire was for his father's will. Secure in who God said he was. Jesus didn't need to consume the world and others around him in order to have life and in order to fill his heart. We do. Even as Christians who are declared righteous and beloved of God, we do. Because it's our habit. We're used to it. It's just etched in there. We just do it. Right? You, you can't just read something and then all of a sudden you lose 20 pounds. It doesn't happen. Right? You gotta change your habits. It's our habit. But learning to feast on God's grace as a discipline can change the way that we consume the world. Because God's grace. May cover us, but it also changes us. It does both. Not overnight. It's not magic. It's all under God's timing. But we can wait on Him because we know that because of what Christ has done for us, He already delights in us. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for you while you're in practice. What, you're trying to get, learn these, these new habits? Right? Nobody's like, oh, you know, God's not like, oh, look, her practice is terrible. I'm kicking her off the team. It doesn't happen. He's already secured your spot. You're going to the pros. You belong to him. Good news is his grace never runs out. There's always something to eat. So Lent reflects 40 years that God's people spent in the wilderness reflects the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert when he was tested. And so we count 40 days leading up to Easter, sort of. We leave out a couple of things. Well, we can fast from any good thing, in our lives, you know, and anything on what that we desire really during that, during that time. It could be alcohol or social media. Uh, it could be even dating for a time. It could be Netflix. It could be chicken biscuits. I don't know, you know, just, just like, although you don't have to worry about that on Sundays. But anyway, so, oh, well, it's just Bojangles, but anyway. So, but, but, but pray about it. Pray over it. Seek a Go to the Lord and say, oh, you know. What would be good for me to fast during this time? And when we do that, we're saying no to something good, but saying a deeper yes to God. A deeper yes to Jesus, to his grace for us, his love. And then traditionally, of course, as many of you know, that fast, particularly for Lent, begins this Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. Um, Some of you who are all in are probably going to head down to New Orleans and celebrate Mardi Gras, you know, Fat Tuesday or something like that, or you have Fat Tuesday in your house, um, <laughs> you know, to eat everything that you like, but, uh, so, but the next day, you know, Ash Wednesday, and it goes all the way up to Easter, with the exception, let me count those days, with the exception of Sunday. Why? Because every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Each Sunday, today, is a day that we, we worship because it was on the third day that Jesus rose from the grave. So therefore, we have been marked by this habit. Coming to church and gathering Sunday after Sunday, we have been marked by the resurrection. We are a resurrection people. Right? So we live by hope and not fear. This is a privilege that we have as adopted sons and daughters of the living God, as his beloved, to be known by our father and be all up in his business on a daily basis. A supernatural provision for starving hearts. We can keep going to him. And we need to keep going to him. Because we still have many deserts to cross. So we fast now to make space for God, to prepare our hearts for the great celebration of Easter and ultimately for that great getting up morning when Jesus will come again. On that day when we will know God even as we are fully known by him. On that day we will feast in the house of Zion as the abundant grace of God which has been pouring out into our hearts for all these weary years will finally overflow into all of creation. On that day we will be brought into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and Pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which we will eat bread without scarcity, in which we will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills we can dig copper, and we shall eat and be full, and we shall bless the Lord our God for the good that he has given us. And we will feast and weep no more because God's greatest provision, the Lamb of God, has been sacrificed and exalted on high. And we, who are his beloved, a resurrection people, are called to use our new life, what God has given to us to bless our neighbors, to use our new life for the good of the world, for the glory of God. Welcome to Lent. In the name of the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Let us pray. God, thank you so much for your provision. We depend on you, but that's no surprise to you because you made us that way. But Lord, you're not a tyrant. You are not someone who is going to, who means us harm, but you are goodness itself. And so everything that flows from you is good and it is right. So Father, we want to be in a place in which we come to you with empty hands and can be filled by you. We want to be in a place where we can expose our true thirst and drink from your fountain. We want to know, to truly know our hunger so that we can feast on your grace even as we fast. Father, we seek you in prayer. We seek you in trying to build new habits, not a new law, God, not a way of trying to earn righteousness from you or for ourselves, but because you have already given us your righteousness through Jesus. You've already said that we are your beloved. And you desire for us to know your ways, to be all in your business, God, because we are your sons. Thank you, Father. Thank you for constantly calling us back to yourself, Help us to turn around, to repent, but to do so in celebration and in joy. Because when we find you, we find life. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.